Good evening, everyone. Thank you. And it's good to see you here tonight. Thank you for joining us for midweek Bible study here on campus. And those of you joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, say welcome to you as well. Just uh, one announcement this evening. We know that we're uh, currently in the middle of 21 days of sacrifice, and that will conclude uh, this coming Sunday, uh, the 24th. So uh, please keep that in mind and have your celebratory meal or celebratory social media binge or whatever it is you plan to do once the 21 days is over, ready. But uh, thank you for joining with us during this time. Um, before Pastor comes this evening, I just want to offer my personal commentary. I thought this past weekend was wonderful. Uh, the time that we had with uh, Dr. Rhea Cooper, uh, I found very personally rewarding. In full transparency, I've been praying in the days leading up to uh, this past Sunday's service that God would speak to me personally. And uh, after the service was over, I said, okay, God, we need to talk about this. Uh, you didn't have to, like, say it exactly like that. Uh, I wanted you to talk to me, but some of that, some of that was a little, uh, a little, little harsher than what I needed. But her demeanor was wonderful and the style of her presentation, and, and I got a lot out of that. And I, I hope that you did, too. And um, I also want to applaud Pastor for having the courage to bring in someone to talk about mental health. Um, that is something that's just not discussed much in church circles. And um, it's, it's a step of faith. And I want to tell you that I appreciate it, Pastor, that you would have her come. And, and I hope that she can come back and uh, that we can hear more of that. Um, uh, speaking to that, the scripture in Romans, uh, Paul said, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But there's a purpose to that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I really like the way that that scripture reads in the New Living Translation. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, what is good and pleasing and perfect. Amen. God bless you this evening as Pastor comes. Thank you, Jason, for those very kind remarks. Good evening, everybody. It's good to see all of you here tonight. And uh, as always, thank you all for coming. And uh, I'm looking forward to this service tonight. I as well uh, gleaned heavy uh, from this service this past Sunday. And uh, I applaud uh, Dr. Cooper as well for doing such a fantastic job. If I had any heartache about this past Sunday, as there's a lot of folks that I wish had been here to have heard it. And, of course, the default is we'll go back and watch it on live stream, but it's never the same as being here live. But if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go back and watch it on live stream. Her presentation was phenomenal. And um, I am very happy to announce that we have already scheduled her return, and it will be as follows. Uh, we're planning a Friday night session. I believe this is the weekend after Valentine's Day in February. On Friday night, the Friday night after Valentine's Day, uh, I would like for her to meet with all of our leadership people 
uh, all of our leadership team. Uh, one of her uh, subjects that she really enjoys talking about is burnout. <clears throat> and I'd love to hear what she has to say about that. And there may be a couple of other things as well. Uh, she is going to request some kind of dialogue, probably not for you to say anything, but write it down on a piece of paper. Don't sign your name and she'll just draw it out of a hat and then talk about that situation. We talked about that. And then the Saturday morning after Valentine's Day, probably starting around 10 o'clock going through noon, uh, we'll have <clears throat> opportunity for our whole church to come. And um, she'll talk about some more subjects then, probably along the lines of anxiety, depression, and so on. And then she'll be here with us the following Sunday morning as well. So all of that is already booked. So uh, uh, save the date. It's the weekend after Valentine's Day. And um, I know you forget and whatnot, but if you can just go ahead and put it in your phone. It's the 23rd through the 25th, so maybe it's the weekend after the weekend of Valentine's Day. Uh, 23rd through 25th of February. So if you'd like to go ahead and put that in your phone, I see everybody just on your phone, just getting down on it. You get them out during church to Google and Facebook and all that, why don't you do something worthwhile with your phone? Just a suggestion. Not being facetious, just a suggestion. So be, it'd be good to do that. Great to see you. Thank you all for being here. Thoroughly had a great time this past weekend, last Wednesday night as well. Uh, felt like God really spoke to our hearts. I know he spoke to mine. Uh, I have felt very challenged uh, since last Wednesday night and certainly since this past Sunday. And I would like to follow uh, in the same suit this, this tonight uh, with our presentation for tonight, Would God Use Me? Uh, I want to continue that theme. And I want to read tonight from John chapter 4, beginning with verse 9. Uh, John chapter 4, verse 9, a very familiar reading. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, Jesus, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. I want you to notice that. She knew that the religious people had no dealings with people that the religious people deemed to be sinners, lost, unchurched. The Jewish people only dealt with each other, I guess, according to this woman. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. And... I look at people sometimes and realize and, and think if you just could understand what God could do for you, if you just change two or three things in your life, maybe one thing in your life, it would be amazing. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. The well is deep. From whence hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself? And his children and his cattle. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well 
of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Skipping down to verse 28, the Bible said, Then the woman left her water pot. She left her water pot, went her way into the city, and saith unto the men, Come see a man, which told me all the things ever I did. Is this not the Christ? And they went out of the city and came unto him. My personal belief about this woman from Samaria is, do you remember the story in the book of Acts where... Uh, Philip was translated to Samaria, and uh, or he went to Samaria, had an incredible revival. Incredible. It's got so big that he called back to Jerusalem and said, hey, I need help here. And a couple of the apostles went and helped him. I believe that woman, this woman right here, was responsible for that revival. I believe she should be given credit for that mighty outpouring of the Holy Ghost that happened in Samaria in the book of Acts. I want to talk to you a little while tonight about would Jesus use me, would God use me, the woman at the well. Jesus gave us an example in witnessing by the way he dealt with the woman of Samaria. The woman, after hearing Jesus, um, was so impressed with him, became a very effective witness I believe tonight that people who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb should certainly tell about it. Uh, I don't believe anyone is excluded from giving his or her testimony of the work of Jesus in their life. And I believe we should tell of the ability of Jesus to save lost people everywhere. Regular people who have received an extra regular supernatural experience should be eager to relate the good news to others. Every redeemed person, every redeemed person has a story to tell. And Jesus of the harvest did not call us to be clever, spectacular, showy, or even brilliant. But he did call all of us to be a witness. And everybody said amen. The Samaritans, the woman that Jesus had encountered at this well, were people of mixed races. I'll also point out that the disciples were not with him. Uh, It's almost like he sent them somewhere else so he could talk to this woman without being judged and ridiculed and criticized and what have you. But the Samaritans were people of mixed races. Uh, The Old Testament teaches uh, it's very apparent that renegade Jewish remnants intermarried with the Assyrians and others who had settled there. This is when the Jews were carried away captive. Some of them were carried away into into Babylon. Some of them were carried away into Assyria. And so when when Israel had been vacated by this captivity, these people being literally carted off to Babylon and Assyria, There were Assyrians and all races of people that moved into Israel to harvest as much uh, of of gain as they could. When this happened, uh, the Jewish people, over a period of time, fell in love with the Assyrians and whatever, all these other people, and started having children by them. These heathen people were idolatrous, 
They had very little comprehension of the real, real true God of Israel. I'm talking about the Assyrians and all these other people that moved into Israel after so many of the Jews were taken captive into foreign lands. In addition to that, the intermingling of idolatry corrupted the children of Israel, the Jewish people. It corrupted them. It corrupted their thinking. It corrupted their belief system. And they were ultimately introduced to uh, the idolatrous habits, worship habits, and so on. This carried on for many years. And so now when you get to the New Testament, you have a woman that is referred to as a Samaritan woman, and she is the fruit of or the byproduct of this situation that I just described. All these factors, if you studied the time of Israel after Babylon, and even when they came back to Israel, the Bible didn't say that all these people moved away. They still stayed, they still intermarried, even though it was against God's plan, etc. They still intermarried with one another and kept producing children that the Bible called Samaritans. They were essentially half Jew and half Gentile, Samaritan people. So they weren't full-blooded Gentile, they weren't full-blooded uh, Jewish people either. So all of these factors created the environment into which the woman of Samaria was born. They contributed to her life of complete disarray. She was a troubled and confused woman. I doubt really and truly she knew really what she believed. She just heard, I believe, people talking. She heard different ideologies discussed or whatever. And I believe when she was having this conversation with Jesus, she was just doing the best she could to hang with him and to act like she knew what she was talking about. I want to go down a path in this presentation tonight for the next few moments to illustrate a point uh, that is so prevalent in our world today. What the Jewish people who were left in Israel after many slaves were taken to Assyria and to Babylon and these Gentile people started moving in, they had no idea what kind of future they were setting up for their nation and for their children. They didn't understand the family problems that would happen. They didn't understand all the things that they were encountering. And I want to go through some of those today that are still prevalent in our world today. The Samaritan's woman's parents probably did not have a copy of the Pentateuch or to say it broadly, the Old Testament law of Moses in their house. I don't know that she was even that familiar with the law of Moses. Knowing where this culture, this climate, this environment had led her, what it was by the time she was born, the Jewish culture as they once knew it, for example, under King David, that was long gone. The Jewish people that lived there didn't really know anymore what they believed because there was so much confusion uh, so many problems, so much depression, and uh, just their whole climate was convoluted. We'll just leave it at that. 
So again, it's not likely that her parents observed the teaching of Moses during this woman's formative years as a child. Whatever the background of the woman of Samaria, we can suffice it to say her life was in utter turmoil, confusion, and despair. And when Jesus came to her, notice, she didn't have just one failed marriage. She didn't have just two. She didn't have just three, nor four. It stops at five. And now she was just shacked up with a man. That's where the departure of her parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents, however many generations. Now you're going, uh, the, the invasion by the Assyrians and the invasion by the Babylonians and Israel happened at the end of the Old Testament. So now you can project four or five hundred years later is this Samaritan woman. So this is where you see when you walk away as a family from the things of God, from the Word of God, this is the path more than likely your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, your great-great-grandkids is going to end up. And we are seeing that today. We're witnessing that today. Almost a generation or even more so ago, people made a huge departure away from holiness standards. And, and then that, that turned into, you don't even have to speak in tongues now. And you don't have to even have the Holy Ghost now. And you don't even have to be baptized in Jesus' name now. I know former UPC pastors that don't teach any of our apostolic message anymore. I know who they are. But it didn't start with them. It started back a ways, and it goes back a ways, and it goes back a ways. We need to consider tonight, folks, when you make a departure from the Word of God, there's a price tag at the other end of it. And it may not be so much in your life, but it sure will be in the lives of your kids and grandkids and so on. So this woman is now the byproduct of a background, a culture, a climate, an economy, you name it. She's been married five times, and now she's living with a man, and she's going to play the religious card on Jesus. Isn't that interesting? I've had it happen to me, and I've told you stories where it's happened to me. People act like I don't know what, and they say, what do you do for a living? Oh, I pastor a church. Oh, I'm a Christian. Well, it sure wasn't being made manifest five minutes ago when the way you talked and words you used and so on. Anyway, you get the point. Listen to Pastor. Listen, Please listen. Failed relationships, particularly in marriage. Secondly, in parent-child relationships, reproduce themselves over and over and over again. They do. And we see it. We see it. In our culture, moms and dads divorce, so the kids divorce. They'll divorce and remarry over and over. And grandparents, have we're old enough now where grandparents have divorced, and now the kids, they don't see a problem with it. And they, their kids' kids don't see a problem with it. And so here we go, and you have all these kids and children running around out here by different mothers and daddies and all this stuff, and they don't have any idea of who Jesus is. Such was the experience 
of the Samaritan woman. And you listen to pastor tonight because I know what I'm talking about. The devil is attacking our families and our homes today in an unprecedented fashion. I have never seen it like I've seen it in the past couple of years. Where the devil is attacking marriages, parent-child relationships. The devil is not stupid. He realizes that if he can destroy the home, he can destroy the backbone of society, he can destroy the church, he can destroy the entire fabric of civilization. Has he not done that? Somebody has to stop the cycle. But people who follow and obey the teachings of Scripture concerning family relationships inoculate themselves against the works of satanic forces. And moreover, they assure themselves of God's blessings upon their home. So I believe that when a couple really commits to Jesus, husband and wife commits to Jesus, and you work through the marriage challenges, when you don't get along, when you don't like each other, all of that, when all of that happens, you work through that. Some do and some don't. I'm encouraging you to do it to the best of your ability. If you can do that, if you can learn to be a parent who can, I can't go down this path tonight, I don't have the time to do it, but to just raise your kids to the very best of your ability. It's no guarantee they're going to serve God, but it sure increases the chances. But I want everybody to understand tonight that too often moral problems are at the root of family problems. It is. The marriage vow is sacred and must be upheld with sober respect. Two individuals taking the marriage vows promise to forsake all others and keep themselves only unto each other as long as they both shall live. Of the three avenues the devil uses to tempt humanity, he often uses the lust of the flesh to attack a person's moral purity. The new lady's hired on the job and the man just goes berserk. Or the new man's hired on the job and the woman goes berserk. And I, I got to have him, I got to have him forgetting about who they've got at home. The Bible teaches against that. People have to learn to control themselves. You have to keep your flesh under subjection. You hear that all the time, but this is where it applies. When you're lusting after things and people and so on. So it is important and right for a couple to keep themselves morally pure for each other. And for the sake of their personal salvation, it is equally important that they remain pure for the sake of their children. The task of raising children in this permissive society that we live in today provides an incredible challenge to every family. But the eternal destiny of children may be determined by what they are taught and by what is modeled model before them in the home. I still believe tonight that old-fashioned purity is still right. I want to make a side note here tonight, and I have come to learn this, especially since covid that we now have a generation of people who attend apostolic churches that really don't even believe in the validity of the Bible. They don't necessarily believe that applies to them anymore. Preachers oftentimes feel like the Old Testament prophets that prophesied what God was going to do, what God was going to say, and all that kind of things, and nobody listened. It just fell on deaf ears. But I want to remind everybody here tonight 
that once the marriage agreement is made, the Bible teaches it is for life. In 1 Corinthians 7, 39, the Bible said, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband is alive, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, but only in Jesus, to marry of someone of like precious faith. The same is true for the husband. Divorce has never been the will of God. Jesus said, listen to this, Jesus said that he allowed Moses to write a bill of divorcement only because of the hardness of the people's heart. They didn't believe the law of Moses back then as much as there's people who don't believe the Bible is now. But from the beginning, it was never God's plan nor God's will for people to divorce. I want to say to these front two rows right here, be careful who you marry. There's a whole lot to marriage than being pretty, than being handsome, and making a lot of money. There's a whole lot more to marriage than that, and I hope you all are listening. There's a plethora of moral issues today that threaten the purity and the integrity of today's families. I'm not reading this out of the book. This is what I experienced back here in this office. Child molestation, incest, pornography, dirty movies. I don't know how you can watch anything decent on television anymore, but ungodly television, these things have inundated our society, producing emotionally scarred people who have a difficulty coping with life. Moreover, especially in our society now, there's an increased acceptance of homosexual behavior in our time that the Bible teaches is abominable in the sight of God. And as a result of declining moral values in general, people's ideas of what is morally acceptable are distorted. That's where we're living today. So I want you to understand, this woman came from a very dysfunctional society with very distorted religious views and moral views. It perpetuated itself into her family and her family perpetuated it into her with moral problems. She couldn't stay married and had no issue with adultery. That brings religious problems. To live according to the precepts of God's word is a, it's a strong deterrent to many family problems. Yes, it is. Everybody hear me today. Jesus is not just a way. He is the way to eternal life. The only access to God is through his death, burial, and resurrection according to 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. The knowledge of this truth brings with it a great responsibility to take the whole gospel to the whole world. The people of God must herald the good news of Jesus Christ with fervor, intensity, and great zeal. It should disturb us, and there's people here tonight that I know it does. I've had this conversation with you. That we are now experiencing people who were born and raised in the church have children that did not attend church all of their life and know nothing about it. And now their kids knows nothing about it. And when their kids comes and receives the Holy Ghost and finds out that their grandparents were raised in church, they have the right to ask. Why didn't you tell me about this? I think this is wonderful. This is amazing. It makes sense to me. I've lived in immorality. I've seen all kind of junk. I've experienced all kind of stuff. Horrible things has happened to me. Why didn't you tell me about this? 
That's our society today. I'm not calling out anybody. There's multitudes of people who walked away from the truth years ago. Now, their kids, nor their grandkids, nor their great-grandkids know anything about it. I, I believe somebody's going to give an answer to that. I just do. But in addition to this woman's religious problems, she also had to deal with, coupled with her family dysfunction, her moral dysfunction. Now she's got to deal with religion. And I want to say false religions have done as much to kindle the flames of hatred and bring division between nations, families, and individuals as any single tactic of the devil. History is replete with ugly stories of wars fought and blood shed over religious differences. The Samaritan woman also was blinded by false religion. And this is where she jumped up real quick to want to bat with Jesus about religious stuff. But she was blinded by false religion. It caused her concern about where she should worship. She did not know whether to worship at the mountain where her forefathers had worshipped or whether the temple at Jerusalem, which was a proper place of worship for that time and culture and so on. To her statement of confusion, Jesus answered that whether Worship was conducted in Jerusalem or in Samaria was not the point. It's not where you worship, rather how she worshiped, who she worshiped, and her attitude about it. That's what was immeasurably important, and the same is true for us today. It does matter. It does matter who you worship, and it does matter what kind of attitude you have when you do worship. You can worship God anywhere. I've taught that for years. You can pray anywhere. Thank God you can pray anywhere. But again, I remind you, Jesus is just not a way. He is the way. In John 4, 21, Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus led the Samaritan woman to understand that he was the Messiah that the people of God have been expecting to come for hundreds and hundreds of years. And he realized that resolving her religious error would put her on a right path, not only in her religious viewpoint, but her moral viewpoint and also her family point of view. Just coming to Jesus would straighten out the vast majority of the problems she had in her life. Now, I'm not implying that you can... Repent, be baptized, receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and go in your merry way and then everything just falls into place. But when you seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said, all these other things will be added unto you. There's great measure and great benefit to serving God, committed, faithful, dependable, obedient, willing. All of those things goes into serving God. So with that in mind, I want to turn a corner for the next few moments tonight. I want you to notice that her and Jesus just just didn't bump into her. And this is where I want Grace Church to really listen now. 
They just didn't bump up on the street, just meet up on the street somewhere coincidentally. Jesus took a journey looking for this woman. If he seeks after them, then who are we to ignore them? Who, who put us in a place where we can choose? Somebody said years ago, and I've never forgot it, we can choose our friends, but God chooses our brother. I want you to think about that. You may not like the person sitting next to you all that much or across the aisle or across the other side of the building, but remind yourself they're a child of God too, just like you are. Somebody say amen. So the supreme purpose of seeking the lost compelled Jesus to include a trip through Samaria. He knew who those people were. He knew what their reputation was. He knew what the Jewish people knew about them and felt about them and all that. He knew that. But he didn't cave in to popular belief and cultural preference and all those kind of things. He went looking for this woman. And with all the resentment and animosity that existed between the residents of Samaria and the residents of Israel, this was not a desirable place to visit. But salvation was not designed to remain only with the children of Abraham. Jesus went to Samaria to plant seeds of eternal life and they were harvested in the book of Acts and around Acts chapter 8 I believe God had a mighty revival in Samaria and it started with this woman I've often said and I've said it especially one on one and, and, and small groups and what have you I would to God that somebody would just bring somebody to this church you can describe them in any kind of way you want other than in Christian. Let them come down here, repent of their sin, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost, and bring about 400 of their friends and turn this church on its ear and show us what dealing and working with and teaching true, genuine center people is really all about. That's the desire of my heart. Praise God. So Jesus went against accepted opinion of the day. He went against that. If Jesus could have influenced, if he would have been influenced by public opinion, there are many people who are in the kingdom of God that would have been excluded had he been influenced by public opinion. If this journey had been left to his disciples, probably would have never happened. Jesus went to the woman of Samaria out of concern. He didn't go to judge her. He didn't go to patronize her in any way. It was a feeling of deep concern for this sinful woman that caused Jesus to make this trip through Samaria. First, he knew that she was lost. This is still a matter of grave concern. Jesus himself declared that a person must be born of water and spirit if he said to enter the kingdom of God in John 3, 5. Second, Jesus had compassion, not only for the Samaritan woman, but also for all humanity. The Holy Ghost, who is the Spirit of Christ, will cause us or should cause us to go to the lost and show concern for their eternal destiny. Number three, there is no one so lost that God will not save that person. There's no such thing as being, there's no such thing as being just a little bit lost. I want you to think about that. There's no such thing as just being a little bit lost. 
It is true that some people have gone to greater depths of sin than others, but everyone outside of Jesus Christ is lost. I want you to notice what Jesus saw that we don't always see in people, and I'm as guilty as anybody else. After all of her background, all the marriage stuff, moral stuff, religious stuff, family stuff, by looking at her life, one might never suspect that deep down on the inside, she really desired to be deeply right with God. She had searched for fulfillment and satisfaction. As the old country song said years ago, she was looking for love in all the wrong places. And neither could she find a love for God either. By gratifying the base desires that are born of fleshly lust, her life had become empty. The hunger inside was growing with every wrong turn she made. In her desperation, she resorted to going for water at the most unlikely hour. You have to understand that the Jewish women at that particular well, Jacob's well, at that particular well, the Jewish women had priority. Everybody had to give way to the Jewish woman. And when they were done drawing water, then anybody else could come. And that's when the Samaritan woman showed up. I want you to notice that Jesus didn't show up early to have a little chat with all the Jewish women. He waited till they were all gone too because they didn't believe in his way and his love and all of that either. <clears throat> so she went at the most unlikely time. She would not be apt to show her discontentment to others if she were the only one at the well. Not only was Jesus looking for a lost soul, a lost spirit, but Jesus sensed the woman's sincerity. By probing the depth of her spirit, Jesus discerned her inward misery. He also recognized that she was aware that she had spiritual needs. She was sincerely displeased with her lifestyle, but she didn't know what to do. There's people in our society that live around us. They, they're not happy. They just don't know how to get out of it. She longed to change but lacked the strength to do so. She lacked the knowledge and the know-how. Her inner conflict was as transparent to Jesus as ours is to him even now. Jesus, the one who possesses all knowledge, keenly observed her disappointment and how her life had gone for her. In her condition, she was a prime target for the testimony that Jesus was about to share with her. Number three, Jesus found common ground with a Samaritan woman. And it was probably the most inexpensive, easiest thing anybody could access. They met over a bucket of water. <clears throat> One of the most essential ingredients in sustaining physical life became the plateau for the meeting of the minds between the witness and the hearer. The woman's need for water was obvious as she approached Jacob's well. In sharing with her his need for natural water, he was also able to establish a dialogue concerning living water. Number four, Jesus made a spiritual application. He took natural water and said, you're drawing after natural water, but I have spiritual water. I have something that will affect you eternally. And she said, give me to drink. That unleashed a reply that revealed the pent-up hostility this woman felt towards the prejudice of the Jews and toward the Samaritans. It's amazing to me that she even listened to Jesus. 
because he did profess that he was a Jew. So why would she expect any compassion, sympathy, or empathy out of him? And after she vented her feelings, Jesus countered with a statement that aroused her curiosity. They worked all through the religious stuff. Jesus was about to address all of her moral issues and family issues. But he bottom line said, if you knew the gift of God, it's almost like saying you don't know. If you did know, but you don't. If you did know, but you've never heard. If you did know, your parents would have told you. If you did know, maybe your grandparents would have mentioned it. But there was no mention of this Messiah in her life. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me to drink, you would have asked of him to give me that living water. It's interesting to me, and I want everybody to hear me tonight. Some people feel like you have to be the fervent Pentecostal whatever to get a revelation from God. But it's interesting to me that this being a Samaritan woman, not even a Gentile, was one of the first people that Jesus told them straight up, I am the Messiah. I'm he, standing in front of you as God robed in flesh. Now, we think sometimes because people live an XYZ lifestyle, and you can fill in the blank however you want, that they're a million miles from God. They might be, but how far away is God from them? This woman approached that well and was rubbing shoulders with this Nazarene man, had no clue who he was. In her mind, she was a million miles away from truth and reality and all of that stuff. Little did she know that all of that was standing right in front of her. So how do we know in the people that we interact with every day? Is it the same place? Yeah, they might be a million miles away from God in their mind. But when God walks up to them, he can bring them close just like that. This one word, he can bring them close. Stung by the inference that she was uninformed about who she was talking with and the abilities he possessed and countered, she, here comes her religious theme. She countered his questions with things like, well, is he greater than Jacob who gave us this well? Jesus, in her opinion, lacked. He didn't even bring a bucket. You've come unprepared. That ought to tell us something, folks. Jesus went to the well to witness to this woman. He didn't bring a bucket. You may feel unprepared. How many times have you felt like and you walked away from somebody and didn't say anything to them because you didn't have your bucket? I wasn't prepared. I hadn't rehearsed my testimony lately. I didn't know enough scripture and all of that. Some of our youth group is about to start a, the P7 Bible study class in their school. Give it all you've got. You guys give it all you've got. Don't worry about the bucket Jesus will take care of that. He will show up and he will put words in your mouth. Trust me, he will. He's done it for me a million times over. It made no sense to her. How can you draw this water that you speak of and you didn't even bring a bucket? Little did the Samaritan woman realize what she was in store for as she made her trip to the well that day. She was not expecting to meet Jesus. Do y'all understand that? The Bible doesn't even intimate that she was hoping she would meet Jesus. She had no expectation, none. She was mired in a lifestyle that was immoral and all of that, a, re, a perverted, convoluted, religious point of view. Nothing in her life was clicking. Jesus, she didn't even know who Jesus was. 
She came that day. She was not expecting anything out of that trip but a bucket of water. Jesus was the farthest thing from her mind. She would never have believed she was about to receive a life-changing experience with this strange man standing at the well with no bucket looking kind of like an idiot. Who comes to a well without a bucket expecting somebody else to do all the work for him? But her unexpected encounter with Jesus relieved her burdened soul of guilt and condemnation. I wish there, there's folks here tonight. I wish you could I, I wish you could believe that. I wish you could accept that. I, I wish you could receive that from Jesus. He's not distant. He's not an arm's length away. He, he's, he meets you where you are. Um, doesn't it's not important to him about your mentality and your lifestyle. It's not important to him what all you've done and all that. It is important because he wants to change it. But his bottom line point, the, the Bible said he's, he, he's come to seek and to save not who but what was lost. That relationship, that knowledge, that knowing him and so on. She met the master that day and she was never the same. The miracle of the grace of God that produces repentance. Repentance had begun its work in her heart. The resentment against the Jews was broken. Her lifestyle that she had followed after suddenly became sinful to her. She experienced a change of heart, a change of mind, and a change of direction. The Samaritan woman had a change of mind. The mindset of this woman had been the, had been the, the result of prejudice and bias that she had been taught by her culture the fact that a Jewish man would speak to her was unthinkable. To further complicate the matter, he offered her water that would satisfy to the extent that she would never thirst again. Furthermore, he reached into her private life and revealed things that only God could know. So she was so deeply moved that she experienced, she experienced the removal of guilt and remorse. She was moved to repentance. She had a change of direction. It is so... Amazing to me how people can come to this church on Sunday morning and either hear it from the pulpit or have somebody from the ministry team that don't know you, that's not familiar with your story, that will walk up and speak the words of God in your ear and you walk out of here like nothing ever happened. If you could be like this woman and receive the fact and acknowledge the fact that God is meeting you where you are, He's meeting you at your mentality, He's meeting you at your lifestyle, all of that, He can turn your life around he can and he's done it for scores and scores of people let me hurry on my time is gone I'll bring this to a conclusion Jesus was compelled to journey through Samaria which was a very undesirable area for the Jews even his disciples did not understand or agree with the decision but the searching Savior knew that he would encounter a troubled woman this woman was beset with multiple problems mixed up in her beliefs and morally wrong and she was desperately needing help. To many, she would hardly be worth the trouble to even speak to. But only Jesus knew the intense hunger of the woman of Samaria that she felt and how desperately she needed to be reached. But Jesus' approach disarmed her resistance, overwhelmed by his offer of living water. She could not refuse as the light of revelation dawned in her darkened soul and mind. She became excited 
over who Jesus was and his ability to uncover the wrong in her life but not yet condemn her for it or judge her for it. This caused her to want to correct her life. The praise team sings a song. I don't know the name of it, but there's one line in it that says, Your kindness brings me to repentance. It just flabbergasts me. It still amazes me when, when I read this story. She went back to her village and said, Come meet a man that told me everything I've done in my life. What a testimony. What, it's kind of weird to me. I've been living essentially like a harlot. Can't stay married. I have no moral value, no moral character. My religious point of view is all messed up. Everything in my life's messed up. Come meet that man that told me all that. Come meet him. He's amazing. She took that approach, I believe, because Jesus didn't come to condemn her or to judge her, but he came to save her. So I want to appeal to Grace Church again. Can God use you? He can. He can. He can. If you'll go out of your way to the Samarias in your life, the person that sits down there four desks down, the person that you work side by side with, the, go out of your way. Get off the beaten path and go through and find somebody and just offer them something that you believe with all of your heart will change their life. I know there's a lot of people here that do and don't give up. Don't stop. Jesus said that, the Bible said in the New Testament that uh, you'll reap if you faint not. So don't give up. Don't stop. When the door opens for you to talk to people about Jesus, walk in it. Get in it. Get in that door and let them know who Jesus is. Thank the Lord. Stand with me tonight if you would. I heard a song, I believe we've maybe even sung it years ago, but God, if you can use anybody, use me. I'm asking you folks tonight, and I know across the building, from wall to wall, front to back, there's people that's giving it all you've got. Again, I applaud our Sunday school staff, our musicians, our singers, our lobby staff, our media booth people, but, but Jesus stepped out of Jerusalem. He stepped out of Israel that day. He went to a place where he particularly wasn't even invited to. He went to Samaria, and that's what I'm asking you to do, and it, it really applies to your life outside the church, is to find that person, to be sensitive to that person, and give them all you got. Tell them how Jesus saved your life. You don't have to get into a doctrinal debate. Just tell him what he did for you and what he's done for your family and what have you. And I believe God will give you a harvest. Uh, one more thing and then I'm done. Years ago before Brother Greg Albritton, I use this because you all know him, before he went in ministry, uh, he got on fire for God, had a pray-through experience. God was calling him to ministry and all that. And he set out to win people, and he did. Uh, I think he won six, seven fellows about his age. Some of them are in ministry today. Some of them, one of them at least, is pastoring a church. It was a neighbor two doors down that he won to the Lord. But they would all sit on the front, on the front row over here on this side, and everybody called them Greg's fruit. Uh, that's who these people were. It was six or seven of them. It was Greg's fruit. Didn't even know their name. It was just Greg's fruit. Well, perhaps you could have some fruit sitting by you in the next week, in the next month. Uh, just fill up a row next to you, brand new people that you brought to Jesus. How would that feel? How fulfilling would that be? Thank the Lord. Let's pray right now and ask God to talk to our hearts. Jesus, we love you. Thank you again 
for these amazing people that love you dearly, that love you deeply. And God, I pray that we could understand that we're so thankful you use us now. But I believe tonight you could use us for more, far more than what you are. And I pray, God, that we're, that we're all willing just to take that step out of our comfort zone and to realize that there are people out there that you love, that you want to intercept, that you want to connect with, but you're depending on us to make that connection. God, use these people. Use them. Use their heart, their kindness, their love for you to reach out to someone else. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thank the Lord. God bless you. Work on somebody. Bring them to church this weekend.